She's not tanning, look at us go Watching pitch perfect, twilight is torn, man Weekend is gone, watching her love Rose that went by that you don't know And I can't drink her, this is her time Away we go, mm -hmm. away we go Away we go, mm -hmm. the Annie Kendrick show Hello, everyone. You're listening to Kicking It with Kendrick, the podcast where we talk about Anna Kendrick. And I've checked multiple times. We are the only podcast on Spotify devoted entirely to the filmography of Anna Kendrick. What do you think about that, Pierre? How's that feel? I really hope Anna Kendrick notices us now because if not, then she's never looking herself up on Spotify. Well, other than for perfect soundtracks. Well, but like if you look up Anna Kendrick on Spotify, I don't know if we're the first result. I mean, we should be, but there's exactly one podcast. I checked before I started uploading these episodes to Spotify. There's exactly one podcast episode that comes up if you search Anna Kendrick on Spotify. So uh, Anna Kendrick, if you're listening to this, which if you haven't been searching yourself on Spotify, you aren't. Search yourself on Spotify, please, because uh, we'd love to have you on the show. I have an entire plan for what happens if Anna Kendrick is the guest on our show. Yeah, just reach out to me or Anna Kendrick's agent. Please reach out to me. We'll make it happen. But uh, we do not have the guest Anna Kendrick on the show, but we do have a guest today. We've got Slight Astro from the Oscars Death Race subreddit and Discord. Uh, Slight Astro, hello. Hi, lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Actually, you're, you're also someone who I think only has one other pod podcast on Spotify up until this episode. Only one podcast appearance, actually. So, yeah, this is my second. For anyone unfamiliar with Astro, you should go and check out the Oscars Death Race podcast from last year. And, of course, our podcast now, and hopefully other podcasts in the future. Welcome to the show, Astro. Uh, th thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's uh, great to talk about Hannah Kendrick. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm always really happy when people say that because I hate to say this part of me doesn't believe it but also in private conversations with you and with other guests you know I bring up hey we do host an Anna Kendrick podcast that's what we're asking you on here for you're okay with that and not only is everyone okay with that everyone is like really excited to do it yourself included I ask you you know what movie do you want to talk about and you said I'm always happy to watch more Kendrick that just made my day <laughs> so, and it also made it really easy to plan an episode that I didn't know what else to do with because today we are going to be talking about The Hollers. Now, The Hollers is a movie that was not recognized by the Academy at all. So, uh, this is a little this is you know a little awkward segue. But that said, Astro, you are one of the mods of a community of people who try and watch all of the Oscars movies every year. So even though that is technically not related to the Hollers, I did kind of want to know a little bit about how you got involved with Oscars death racing. And I think much more than that, like you death race, you try to death race other awards as well throughout the year. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's an interesting segue into my appearance here, I have to say, but it, it's, um, to be honest, my friend used to try and watch all the Oscar movies and like for years and years she was doing this uh, ever since I kind of first met her about 20 years ago. And I kind of really hated the Oscars at the time. <laughs> like it just felt like some sort of circle jerk kind of, of terrible movies that I didn't really want to watch that had no meaning to me whatsoever. But um, over the years, you know, she kind of, she knew I was quite good at finding things, shall we say. And um, so we'd always kind of try and uh, go and watch some film festival stuff in London. 
of films that she thought were going to get nominated. And then, you know, over the years, you know, she'd, she'd say, well, you know, we used to go to the cinema a lot and watch all sorts of things that she, she made extensive lists. Unfortunately, about, uh, well, yeah, four and a bit years ago now, um, she passed away, which was very sad. But, um, you know, a, a couple of my friends and I, we kind of try and death race in her memory. And, you know, essentially the kind of year before she, she died, I really started trying to make a proper concerted effort to uh, complete the death race. And because I'm kind of a bit of a stats nerd, I kind of came up with a, a spreadsheet that my friends and I used. I took over the one that she was using with another one of our friends and made it a lot better, in my opinion. Uh, that kind of led me to to be part of the kind of crazy community that is the Oscar death racing community, which is great fun and all sorts of people. And it's been great to kind of get to know people from all over the globe who kind of do this crazy hobby. It is always surprising to learn like where everyone is coming from, because I, I heard recently um, an interview with Bong Joon-ho and he called the Oscars a local awards ceremony. And he's not completely wrong, but if you look at the people that pay attention to the Oscars, you've got people from India, you've got people from Germany, you've got people from the Philippines, you've got people from basically every continent. It's really cool to learn, to see where all people are trying to watch all of these movies from. Yeah, it's 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 mad. Uh, the amount of press coverage we get over here in the UK about the Oscars is probably comparable, if not slightly more so, to the to the BAFTAs. So um, it's interesting. They always make an enormous deal of the, uh, you know, Oscars and the kind of red carpet and after parties on breakfast TV the day after the Oscars, which always used to annoy me. But now it's kind of, I sleep through it most of the time. Those those kind of after-party stuff. I'm personally a big fan of pageantry. I don't actually like, when they have the, the before red carpet stuff, I don't care about it as much. Like I, I won't, I won't make sure that I'm watching four hours in advance so that I can see that stuff. But if it's playing in the background, that's always fun for me to see. Like, oh, here's someone mispronouncing Daniel Kaluuya's name. I'll bet that's not going to bite him later on. Are you secretly British, Jeff? <laughs> it sounds like a very British thing to do. Just... <laughs> I uh, I don't think I can be because I remember seeing Graham Norton in Eurovision and thinking he seems very mean. And um, I was, I mean, he was, but that was something I didn't like. So I don't think I can be British. Ah, the biting sarcasm of Eurovision. That's. Um, I'm I'm curious. Um, Back five years or more so, did did you and your friend ever finish the death race? No, as far as I'm aware, she never managed to complete it. You know, I know that she came really close on a few occasions. Some of the shorts always caught her out, mm -hmm. uh, along with maybe one or two films that just didn't get a British release at all, I think. Or certainly, you know, um, I think that streaming services have made it a lot easier to, mm -hmm. to death race. Um, but also, I don't know, I think global markets are a little bit more mature and kind of getting to a point where they realize that if a film is nominated for the Oscars, people want to go and see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a shame because I think that, um, she probably would have completed the last two or three years because the last two or three years have been. I don't want to say necessarily easy, but certainly easy by comparison to 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I can, you know, I I think she definitely would have completed. I mean, yeah, my first completion was, was it a couple of years ago? I've only, yeah, I've, I've got two back-to-backs and I missed out on one film the two previous years, which was super irritating. You missed out on which one did you miss last year? Now I'm just curious. No, no, no. The um so this must have been what, twenty nineteen? That was the was it it was it Polish? The um don't look away or uh was it called I can't remember what it was called. 
don't look away or never look away. Never look away. That that yeah. one. Yep. I'm never gonna watch that film now ever. I wasn't in the community at that point, but uh, it's really funny coming coming into it afterwards. And anytime Never Look Away comes up, it gets heated opinions from people who not only haven't seen it, but will emphatically never watch it. Yeah, I'm unashamedly one of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, one, one other thing, just because I, I want to help you promote stuff. Uh, you, you also recently are one of the co-founders of the Academy of Death Racers, which recently had its first film festival. And mostly I wanted to know how that went, but also I wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, promote your stuff because we don't have ads today. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. That's, um, yeah. Um, so a whole bunch of us from the community pitched in to try and kickstart a kind of a preeminent um, death race festival to hopefully try and get hold of some of the kind of shorts that would end up on long lists and short lists. So yeah, back in January this year, we held our first festival online and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was very good. There was a really nice range of films that got submitted. I think we had three nominated uh, films for various different uh, awards, including one for the Oscars uh, long list. A couple of the BAFTAs uh, shorts were also featured. Yeah, it went really well. I think uh, we're all hopeful that we'll be able to do it again. I have to admit, it's still quite soon afterwards, and I'm still slightly recovering from the amount of work that (laughs) we all put in on it. Um, But yeah, uh, there was lots of good feedback. The voting for the actual awards winners has just finished. And we're really looking forward to announce those winners in our live ceremony on the 26th of March, the day before the uh, Oscars ceremony. Up until a few episodes ago, uh, because a few episodes ago we started, our episodes started coming out in February. But up until about then, we had ads running for the Academy of Death Racers. So if you are listening to this, I certainly hope that you were able to get your ticket and watch some of the shorts that were featured maybe for your own BAFTA death race or even just for your own enjoyment. I know Takeover was there, which did not get nominated for an Oscar, but uh, I really, really liked. So yeah. And of course, anyone who's listening to this, please tune in on March 26th. All of the details of the awards ceremony aren't there yet, but it should be a really fun time if last year is anything to go off of. Because we'll also be doing our AODR awards that we did last year around the same time, I think on the same day. So yeah, it should be a great time. It should be good fun. That's uh, The award ceremony last year was great fun. So you know, my hat's off to you and Pierre for your excellent presenting skills. Thank you. <laughs> we really tried. I'm already mentally preparing for it. I haven't written anything down yet, but I'm very <laughs> excited for if we get the opportunity to do it again, which... I think we will, but I also don't want to promise anything to our listeners just yet. I'm, I'm curious, though. Uh, now that the voting is finished, obviously, I think we can talk openly about our favorites from the AODR festival. But uh, what did you think? Well, there are a few different categories, and I, oh, I don't remember what I voted for in each. But I remember my favorite animated short was called Normal, which was a... French short about a guy who tries to order cocaine off the internet, but accidentally gets a Karl Marx book instead. So he decides to destroy capitalism. It's so weird, but it was really cool. That one I really, really liked. And then my favorite documentary short was Takeover, which was 40 minutes. So uh, I guess barely a short, but uh, I actually did an interview with the director of that. It was originally intended as a feature, and I think it would have been a great feature. Uh, but as it was, it was a great short. I'm, I'm obviously very sad it didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Uh, but most of the documentaries that did get nominated for an Oscar, I think, were very strong. So I don't know exactly what I would take away. I think there was something. I don't remember them all offhand, and I'm not going to look them up right now. But And then I unfortunately did not have enough time to watch very many of the feature-length films. I think I got... I watched one, and I don't want to talk too much about it because I did not like it, unfortunately. Oh, dear. That's a... Yeah, there was all sorts. I was really impressed with the range of stuff that we we got. 
uh, in. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think I really liked pretty much all of the animated shorts that we had. They all kind of stood out in different ways, such different styles of animation as well. Well, with that short, short tangent out of the way, before that's out of the way, I would like to just say to everybody, please uh, check out AODR on Letterboxd or Instagram or Twitter or, of course, AODR.net. There's lots of stuff going on there. There probably will continue to be stuff going on there during the year. I just don't know exactly what it will be yet. It's a great community. I encourage anybody who is interested to either join the subreddit or the Discord, and anyone who maybe is not interested in the Discord and subreddit specifically to at least go check out the website. And there's lots of ways to stay active during the year. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're kind of hoping to uh, run a few kind of fundraisers for next year's uh, film festival uh, as well throughout the year. And fingers crossed, we'll have some announcements to make later after the uh, Oscars ceremony, possibly. Well, I will be hounding you guys for ads. So as soon as you do have stuff to announce, I'll probably force you guys to make an ad so I can put it on my podcast. Quality, thank you. But getting back to the subject that will eventually be at hand, uh, this is an Anna Kendrick podcast. And so I am curious about a couple of things. Now, I have one question that I've asked you to prepare, but I have one question that I just came up with that I have not asked you to prepare. If you're comfortable doing so, I am interested in your general thoughts on Anna Kendrick as a performer. I was going to say as a person, but I don't think we all know her as a person, so I wouldn't want to presuppose anything. What, what do you think of her as a performer and her movies, etc.? Because you are on an Anna Kendrick podcast. Of course. Um, I have to admit, I kind of first noticed Anna Kendrick whilst watching the Pitch Perfect movies with my daughter. And, you know, she's got such a bubbly presence in those that... Uh, I kind of, I had a bit of a soft spot for her and that's kind of never really gone away. So, uh, yeah, I, I do quite enjoy seeing that she's in a film. And as you kind of mentioned earlier, the, the amount of things that she is in surprised me when I looked it up to kind of think, oh yeah, I'll, I'll have a think about what my favorite Anna Kendrick movies are. It's thinking back the amount of things that I've seen her in, well, Certainly, I've not covered the whole filmography by any stretch, but, uh, you know, the little bit roles she's in in a few things really surprised me because I'd forgotten. <laughs> I think uh, with this podcast, we will, within the next couple of weeks, we'll hit having talked about 30 movies and we have covered about half. She's in a shocking number of things. And yeah, actually... I like that you mentioned her bubbly personality from Pitch Perfect because uh, especially going into this podcast, that was my initial impression of her as well. And again, that she's got that natural charisma. She's got that bubbly personality that she's very good at portraying on screen. But what I've learned over the course of doing so many of these episodes is that I guess not that I ever thought she didn't have range, but she has, she's a much more dynamic performer than I would have uh, initially, I guess, expected of her. I think that unfortunately she hasn't had, she hasn't had really big roles to show off a lot yet, but um, she has been able to stretch her legs in a lot of different roles and not just, and not just in different movies, but like she is able to portray very different characters. Yeah. I think that's very fair. It's a, uh... There's obviously a few where she pops up and does a little sing-song as well, which I always quite like. That's, I have to admit, I, I watched, um, what is it, Dave and Paul's Need Wedding Dates or, or whatever uh, it's called. Mike and Dave. Mike and Dave, dates. sorry, yes. <laughs> that's, our, uh, that's our next episode, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it's surprising that she hasn't been in more musical roles because she's probably best known for Pitch Perfect which is not a musical, but is all about music where she sings a lot. And like, she literally has singles that are released under Anna Kendrick that have come from those movies. Uh, she was in Into the Woods and her very first role ever was in a musical on Broadway that she was nominated for a Tony Award for. So it's a little surprising that 
she's only in a handful of musicals or a handful of musical roles. She's more, she's more often a dramatic performer, even though she could be very successful on Broadway if that was the career path she had wanted. Yeah, the things I learned from your podcast. It's <laughs> So on to the question that I did tell you in advance. What would you say, before we move on to our main movie today, what would you say of the movies that you have seen so far would be your top Anna Kendrick movies or performances, or you may have two different lists for both. I don't know. What would you say? Yeah, um, well, I don't think that I've seen enough really to to have a true understanding of her performances. So I'll just kind of mention a few films that uh, I really like that she's in. And yeah, that I think she's quite good in. I think top of that list is probably Scott Pilgrim, because it's great i've always loved edgar wright and i love the kind of style and yeah thanks it's not a perfect film by any stretch but her role's quite nice and quite important in that in a kind of subtle way then up in the airs you know i know that you've talked about it uh but i feel like because i'm the invited oscars uh guest uh you've got to mention uh up in the air haven't i uh um but then obviously pitch perfect all three of them, uh, there's something that I quite like in all of them. Obviously, a few of them, or a couple of them, are not as good as one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, that, I suppose that that's it, really. Um, I know that I need to do more work, and I think I will, going forward in, in watching more. Well, if you are curious, we have 15 episodes with recommendations. I look forward to it. <laughs> I was mostly just trying to see if Up in the Air was on that list because I, I think it's been on everyone's list so far. And like, it, it probably should be. I'm just very interested to see if it's ever not on anyone's list. <laughs> yeah, that'd be intriguing. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad not to disappoint anyhow. <laughs> well, it's been 25 minutes and I don't actually think I've talked about the movie that we're talking about today. We will get back to it after, after a break that we'll go to pretty soon. But we are going to talk about the movie The Hollers, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. And we'll talk about why it's interesting later on or why it isn't interesting and other reasons later on. Specifically, this is a movie that's directed by John Krasinski, who I'm going to be quite honest, I didn't know he directed anything before A Quiet Place. And uh, it turns out he was actually not a prolific indie director, but he did a couple of indie movies before A Quiet Place, and they are very different than what he would go on to. So, before we go to break, Pierre, anything you have left to say about John Krasinski, Anna Kendrick, or The Hollers before we talk about it? All right, well, with that enthusiastic endorsement, we'll come back in just a couple of minutes to talk about The Hollers. Did you just hear an ad? Probably not. I think you probably just heard some nice music because I have run out of ads. So if you're listening to this and you have a podcast, and actually, if you have a podcast and you'd like to come on our podcast, please reach out. But if you wouldn't like to come on our podcast, still reach out because I have ad space and that's the easiest thing to put in ad space. So I can promote your podcast. Please reach out. Anyway, we are here to talk today about the movie The Hollers, directed by John Krasinski in 2016 and starring Anna Kendrick, John Krasinski, and Richard Jenkins and Margot Martindale. Pierre, would you be able to tell us what The Hollers is about? 
The Haulers is a movie about a family called The Haulers, surprisingly enough. Actually, when I heard The Haulers, I was not expecting that to be a family name. I'm not going to lie. And it stars uh, John Krasinski as John Hauler, who is the successful hauler out of New York, who comes back once he learns that his mother has been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And he basically comes back and his family's kind of a mess. I think the family business is having a lot of trouble, especially because they have to pay for the mom's hospital bills. Uh, John Hauler's brother is kind of a creep. And John Haller is also having a, a baby with Anna Kendrick, who is who has a name in this movie that is not Anna Kendrick. I promise you that <laughs> Rebecca. And uh, they are and he, I guess, is nervous. So coming back home and seeing his family is kind of a way of him remembering what family is about, I guess, in a way. And this is just ever so slightly a spoiler but uh, I, I don't think it's that bad. So I'm not going to put a... Well, I mean, I've just warned people for spoilers. <laughs> but uh, I think it's important to say after last week's episode, Anna Kendrick has the baby. She has the baby in this movie and uh, everything goes well. Uh, Wait, not on screen. Well, the, the, the baby... She has the baby like off screen, but like before the movie is over, she has had the baby, right? Did I, miss, did I misinterpret something? I don't believe something? so. I, I think she's about to have the baby. Yeah, they're walking. They're oh, walking no. into the room to have the baby, but we don't see any babies being born. Okay, well, then it wasn't a spoiler in, in, at all. It was wrong. <laughs> I mean, oh, well, now it's kind of a spoiler because we just, now, <laughs> now it's a spoiler. We just yeah, confirmed. so there's, there's the ending of the movie. <laughs> yeah, so you know what? Let's let's start with you, Astro. What did you think of this movie? Well, I didn't love it. I have to say, um, I think I've got a couple of questions for you guys. What is the time period of the film? You know, is it a week? Is it like a month? I, I just, I'm puzzled by the kind of temporality of the uh, within the film. Um, and I really kind of struggled with that. Apparently it's about a week because they, they say they're removing the brain tumor later the same week. Yeah, they say on Friday, don't they? There's a few moments where it kind of really focuses on the time, but then it's like sprawling and suddenly like it's jumped two days somehow, but we've not seen anything in that two-day period. And yeah, it just all feels a little bit of a mess to me That yeah. in, in that way. I actually hadn't thought about that until you mentioned it. For me, it was an unspecified but short period of time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hadn't really thought about it. I'm an enormous pedant when it comes to time within films. But. Well, I guess a lot of, I was going to say, like, it, it feels a lot longer because it feels like there's a lot of coincidentally important things in their lives happening at about this moment. I guess maybe you could say it was spurred by the the mother going through some, like, the brain tumor stuff. So everyone's, like, everyone's more active in deciding, like, making life choices or something but yeah i see what you mean it, it definitely felt like it could have been like over a month or something like that yeah there's one scene in particular anna kendrick's character rebecca is rich like that's part of her character is that uh, her family is just really rich but at one point probably a little less than halfway through the movie she comes to where john just went to whatever small town that is just overnight and he asks her, how did you get here? And she says, taxi, which makes it weird as a when you think about it from a time perspective, because that line is specifically designed. That's only there to show that she's rich enough to just afford a taxi from New York to, I guess, Oklahoma or wherever it is. And, you know, it works in that respect. But what it doesn't work in is that would probably that would be at least overnight. That would probably be like a two day trip. Or at least close to it, unless you have your taxi driver literally not sleeping for the entire time. She says it's something like eight hours, doesn't she? I think. And yeah, I guess I'd have to check exactly where that poor taxi driver. I feel like that's really glossed over. Like, like seriously, I I thought that was a joke, honestly. Like, but yeah, that that was. It's like they were writing the script and they were like, John Krasinski asks, "How did you get here?" And she's like, and their writers are like well, shit, how did she get there? I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, from I mean, in, from a screenwriting perspective, it is a joke because it's literally just there to show how much money she has. But yeah, if she's serious, 
than that. Yeah, that poor taxi driver. I think this movie really tackles the fundamentals of how the rich treat uh, everyday workers and stuff. I think that that was a heavy theme in the movie that we could talk more about later. Because is is her job a joke as well? That's yeah, kind of. of yeah. What is her job again? I don't remember it. She makes clothes for pets, apparently. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so and, and somebody somebody jokes about does that pay the bills in New York? And yeah, and essentially John Krasinski's character goes, "Yeah, no, she's she's loaded." <laughs> so. Yeah, actually, I'm a little confused about how those two made it in New York because John Krasinski's character is a graphic novelist, but it doesn't sound like he's very successful at it. Well, and he's an aspiring graphic novelist, though, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, and he works well, in a in an office selling corporate subscriptions to something, doesn't he? Or I don't know. Okay, that's true. He does work in some office doing something, so. I guess that's how he pays the bills, but, you know, it seems like a little bit of an exaggeration to call him the successful brother. Although Not it, that it, much, because the other one is less successful. Yeah, it's a very low bar, isn't it, I think? Yeah, yeah, I guess, what do you think about that, uh, Pierre? Just, like, the, the family dynamics, or not, not necessarily the dynamics, but just, I guess... The, the most puzzling thing about this movie, it can ultimately all be... Uh, summed up under the banner of world building mm. and yeah I'm, I'm curious about like what did you think about the world building essentially that they did with all of these different characters um i thought it was pretty bad <laughs> i think the yeah. the whole uh like it felt like they were they were setting up a lot of potential plot points throughout the movie that aren't ever really tackled and then you mentioned the family dynamic like i'd say i I felt the connection between everyone and the mother, but I never really felt any sort of chemistry between the guys in the family, I guess, like the individual members. Like I, I didn't really see John as any way, shape or form a brother to his brother in the movie. I can't remember his name, but like they, they felt like they were like basically strangers, if I'm going to be honest. Like, I don't really remember any meaningful interactions between them. Other than in the car where the, the brother's spying on his, his ex-wife. Um, but again, that wasn't like a positive interaction. <laughs> that was like just more kind of John realizing his brother's insane and wanting to stay away from him. And then same thing with the dad. Like I actually can't really remember any interactions, any like meaningful interactions off the top of my head between the dad and John. Like, I, I just, I felt like there was potentially a lot the movie was trying to offer me and, and it was trying to get me to realize about the family, but um, it never really stuck. So just really briefly, I would I only mentioned this because it's kind of funny, the names of the characters. So we've got John Krasinski as John. We've got Charlotte Copley as Ron. And we've got Richard Jenkins as Don. So the names of the characters are John and Ron, those are the brothers, and their dad, Don. They did not think too hard about those names yeah i mean I, I feel like the naming in this movie is kind of synonymous with how the script was made and that it was just like kind of okay let's kind of see what what feels relatable and shove that in there or like easy and relatable you mentioned how the brother john doesn't really feels like a stranger to everyone else and i i don't know if that was at least in some part deliberate because it helps us, it helps him be sort of an audience surrogate character to this to this town that he should know but we as the audience don't so he's kind of being reintroduced to everything but even if that is intentional it's either a very bad idea or it's pulled off very poorly because he comes back to this town that he's supposed to know very well and he's being reintroduced to everybody. So you get a lot of exposition at like awkward times, like the entire interaction with Charlie Day as the male nurse is just kind of silly. Like Charlie Day is normally funny and he's just playing Charlie Day, a normal Charlie Day character in this. So, you know, I thought that was entertaining to watch, except that he's his character is a, such a non-entity in this movie that it almost doesn't matter. 
you know, it doesn't help that a lot of those other inter-character, interpersonal dynamics between the different characters, with the exception of everybody and Sally, the mom, you know, aren't that aren't that strong or aren't as fleshed out as they need to be in order to make any of this town work. Absolutely. I think, you know, you've nailed it for me very well. Everybody seems really hollow and... I couldn't quite understand whether they were trying to pitch it as it's kind of these characters are oddballs, you know, with it's a family of people, you know, who are kind of eccentric and filled with personal issues, but they kind of, they work as a family. They all love one another, that sort of thing, because to me that didn't work, but at the same time, I don't really know how else it was trying to pitch these people. We watched a movie a while ago called Happy Christmas. And in Happy Christmas, that was... I think I got to go back and watch Happy Christmas again. Because since we talked about it, I've brought it up on at least two or three other episodes. So clearly I liked it more than I originally said. But Happy Christmas, when we talked about that, we talked a little bit about the genre or the film movement, I guess, of mumblecore. Which is pretty much just a derogatory term because no one inside that movement actually uses it. But with those movies, they're largely improvised. I don't think that works for a number of different reasons. What it does do is it lets the filmmakers have these oddball characters and then give them sort of a very authentic charm because they're literally just saying, you know, get into character and now walk around the house, do something. You have to go now. We're we're filming. It gives it a really like if not necessarily real, sort of sort of authentic charm. Yeah, there's an honesty to it, isn't it? That, exactly. That, yeah. And this movie feels like the opposite of that. It has the same basic idea in that it feels very loosely scripted and it's basically just, you know, two characters interacting in one scene and then we go to the next scene where, yes, they are connected, but really the connections are more an excuse to show off these characters, except that, this is a movie where like it's very thoroughly scripted clearly and it feels so polished it doesn't feel no part of this feels authentic because it just feels i mean as you guys said it just feels so hollow due to i don't know exactly what it's due to but it feels like these the actors aren't given enough to make their characters interesting and aren't given enough space to add their own stuff either because Richard Jenkins is great in general, and he's fine in this, but he's barely in it. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, he's not barely in it. He's actually in most of the movie, but I barely noticed him. Because who is the central protagonist in this film? Who is it the mother? Is it John Krasinski's character? Is it about family generally? Like, mm-hmm. the Fast, <laughs> Fast and the Furious style? Um, well... Because the the most interesting characters, at least on paper, to me, are uh, Ron and Don, the brother and the dad, because their entire character arc, which is entirely in the background, is that Ron has just been fired from Don's company because Don is about to go bankrupt. And he wants to, I'm guessing he wanted to give Ron a severance so that he can try and get a better job rather than just having him having the entire company liquidate and Ron be left out with nothing, I guess, except that that's not really addressed because they're not, as you said, the central, I don't think they're the central characters of this movie. You know, the job question is a, is something that also really irritates me because, you know, the, the son, uh, Ron, he really wants, well, he, he says he's got a second interview at a bar but somehow the dad gets a second job stocking the shelves at the at the store. You know, did the son not try that first? I don't know. And also, is that going to save him from bankruptcy? Yeah. I didn't fully understand. <laughs> I don't know what the minimum wage in this state is. <laughs> uh, I can guarantee you that in 2016, it would not have been high. But that's the thing is like so many parts of this movie are like, brought up like i can't count how many subplots are kind of introduced and like just forgotten about like you mentioned the the whole severance thing bankruptcy thing there's the whole john krasinski like there's that really weird scene where he he meets his high school like sweetheart basically for the first time in a while 
and it's very obvious that he's still into her in some way and she's extremely into him and she's not in a good marriage and there's like so it's like a really awkward scene that you're like okay now like i see where this plot line's going because he's conflicted about having the baby with anna kendrick and and they also get like was it was mary elizabeth winstead right for that mm-hmm. for the girlfriend mm-hmm. or the ex-girlfriend role yep. and like so you're like okay is this is like a decently big actress coming in and like she's gonna be like a big part of the movie and we never see her again and that whole yeah. plot line is completely ditched and it's just like mm-hmm. what what was the point of that scene and like it's very obvious that scene was supposed to have an effect on something but it didn't um i guess the only thing it did was made anna kendrick insecure enough to come to the city to like be part of the plot but then also that plot line didn't hit for me anyways because didn't feel like John Krasinski's character like really learned anything to get to the point where he was willing to commit other than like his family being in danger, I guess. Well, and once Anna Kendrick does come to the city to like hang out with all of them, she doesn't, she comes there. I mean, it's implied, I guess, or not even implied. It's basically stated that she comes there because she's worried that he might be cheating on her or something like that. But then when she gets there, they don't care. I think she brings it up once briefly. And the way she brings it up is she says, we'll talk about this later. And that doesn't matter. Like if we're not going to see that talk happen on the, in the movie, that's fine. But then don't make that part of the movie. Yeah. There's lots of things like that, that I was screaming at my TV saying, why is this here? You know, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, lots of irritating things. And one particular thing that really, it's an enormous bugbear of mine. It's uh, about kind of the single or the separated father and the way he interacts with his children. But the thing is, it's not even the, the single dad, so the son, but also the nurse The uh, at, in that scene where John Krasinski goes to his ex-girlfriend's house for dinner. And the dad just seems not to care about this baby at all. It just doesn't try and it really irritates me that sort of thing those scenes sort of looked like they almost felt like they were there to make john krasinski's character seem much better by comparison because the scene where he goes over to his ex-girlfriend's house and charlie day doesn't care about the kid but then the kid immediately shuts up when john's in the room it's like oh man he sure is the right guy i guess and then when he's hanging out with his brother all of those interactions only basically only serve to show his brother as a creep, whether he is or not. They just make, that's just the framing of those scenes. And it it ends up ringing hollow at the end when his brother gets a little bit of a happy ending, even though it shouldn't because his his brother, I believe, is just a single dad who wants to see his kids. But throughout the movie, the way that it's framed, he's not put in a very good light. Absolutely. And, you know, this is, again, going back to that kind of temporality. It's, you know, it it feels like this character arc of being, oh, yeah, I'm a hapless kind of guy. I've got some issues, but I still kind of care about my kids. But essentially, my kids are there to make me feel better. And that's what they are. It, sorry, a quick aside as well. The two nieces, did they ever interact with their uncle? So uh, John Krasinski's character. Maybe once, very briefly. But like, I, I don't remember. It could have not happened. I don't remember a scene. It's doubtful. I don't remember that either. And, you know, because surely that's that's a way they could have kind of got into the scene that, oh yeah, he's actually good with kids. You know, he, uh, he could, uh, they could have got rid of that very awkward uh, scene with the baby. But yeah, the, the kind of, I don't know, the story arc of the brother kind of trying to find out how to be a better dad to his kids. And it's all about, it's Josh, is it Josh Gruben, the uh, the pastor? Yes. And yeah, it's just, oh, I don't, yeah, don't even know what to say. Well, like, also his character was like, I thought there was like leading up to like, because I feel like it was a, I mean, I, nowadays I feel like it's he's the stereotypical like stepdad that's actually really cool. Like, I feel like I've seen a couple times in movies lately. But then, like, there's, like, supposed to be a confrontation, sort of, between him and the creepy brother guy. But we never see it, and that's also never resolved. Like, it's just kind of resolved off-screen, because, like, 
uh, all of a sudden after that the guy never like tries to break into the house to see his kids again <laughs> and like that's never brought up again it's like so what did he say like i don't understand especially because going into that it didn't seem like they were going to get along anyways so it's just like what was the point of that entire plot line it didn't need to be there so really just touching on the very beginning of you saying that one thing i did actually appreciate about this movie is i don't know if it's actually like how which one is more common but it feels to me like the most common way to portray a stepdad especially when the biological father is closer to the main character in a movie is that the stepdad is just awful and what i did appreciate and is that like this character was i suppose technically antagonistic in that he was the stepdad and we were closer to the biological dad but he was just a really good guy and a good character which at the end of the day it stops and ends on the page there like the execution is fine but the execution doesn't save any part of the movie necessarily but i do like that like he didn't go out of his way to make him an evil stepdad or anything which you know it's not much but it is it is one thing i did really enjoy about the movie yeah i'm i'm all for kind of father figures not being total assholes to children that's <laughs> and as a single parent myself it is it's i kind of I, I know that like louis um ck is you know very problematic and you know there's lots of things that he needs to address and isn't addressing but um yeah just in his tv show about being a single father it deals with things in a lot more nuance and i know there isn't the time to go into that in these sorts of films but essentially, you know, you can be a troubled man, but still fundamentally care about your children. And in this, it really didn't feel that the children were cared for by anybody uh, other than the mother in the hospital, you know, and the mum and the stepdad. It annoyed me enormously. On that note, I want to um, do, do one of my Jeff's secret recommendations of the day. There's there's a movie that does handle the, that I found does handle some of the nuances of being a single parent uh, in a very troubled situation in a way that I um, certainly can't speak to from experience whether or not it's a good portrayal, but I think it's very, it's very interesting. It it doesn't like paint anybody as an explicit bad guy or anything. And it's a really, it's just a really good movie. The Killing of Two Lovers. That is a really, really good movie that I would like to recommend anybody who's made it this far into the podcast. Go watch that. Should be readily available on YouTube. It was up for some Spirit Awards last year. I don't think it won any, but it really should have. It was really good. Yeah, it was one of my favorite films of last year. And I totally, yeah, would would agree with what you said. We've talked for like 15, probably 20 minutes about stuff we mostly didn't like in this movie. Was there anything you guys did like in this movie? Can I start? Yeah, go ahead. It's under 90 minutes. <laughs> That's always a good always a good point in my, my book. True. But I, I, I think, you know, as it felt that all of the actors, and there were some good actors in this, and uh, it felt that, you know, they weren't given very much. But I think that each of them had maybe 15 or 20 seconds that I really liked. There was a scene, for example, the kind of the haircutting scene with between John Krasinski or John. I'm going to stop calling him John Krasinski. John, the yeah, character John, enough. and his mum. That, you know, to me, that, that uh, any kind of, you know, somebody's ill and haircutting is involved, it, it always kind of, makes me well up a little bit because you know i when my, when my friend who i mentioned earlier when she was going through treatment she lost her hair and I, at the time i had really long hair as well and i was really precious of my hair and so when she had to lose her hair i raised a bunch of money for charity and she got to shave my hair and she found it really cathartic and so all those kind of scenes whenever that kind of shows up in a movie you know it makes me makes me kind of remember that and it, it yeah it, I, but essentially that that's that's all i can say <laughs> about things that i quite i thought weren't awful <laughs> 
Pierre, you want to go next? Um, I liked uh, the Richard Jenkins scene where he's, he receives the two letters from Charlie Day scene. I thought that was actually really, really sweet. Um, and I think Richard Jenkins is definitely showing why... I don't know. I've, I've had a good Richard Jenkins week, actually. I've seen him in a couple things, and I think he's he's just been fabulous, and I'm realizing now how much I like him as an actor. So he, he was very good in that. As for other things... Um, I thought stuff like the little things with the mom was really sweet. Like I thought she actually had really good chemistry with everyone. Um, I hope I thought the whole pretzels and ice cream thing was really cute. And that scene where they escaped the hospital together is really cute. Yeah. Did, oh, was it not too easy to escape from the hospital? Sorry to interject. Yeah, it, but... it was like a little sus. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> you have a patient with a with a brain tumor. You'd expect there to be like you know a little more concern for ramming her out of the hospital or whatever but like you know i i guess i can let that go for the sake of the movie because it was a cute scene mm-hmm. yeah but I, there was one more thing i wanted to say i liked i think it was oh the stepdad i like the stepdad he had a good smile there you go josh groban is definitely a handsome man for sure you guys both mentioned scenes involving margot martindale and i think that she as sally the mom was really really good in this and i think not only is it telling that you guys that the scenes you guys mentioned were ones involving her character, but also earlier on when we were saying the family dynamics didn't work except with the mom, I absolutely stand by that. I think that the interactions with Sally really brought out the best in all of those characters. And I think everyone was giving it their all, but those are really the only scenes where they had a lot to work with and were able to you know, deliver really good performances. I think that, you know, normally the director brings out the best in the actors. And I think in this case, it was actually Margot Martindale who brought out the best in all of her co-stars. She was very good in this. I don't know. I think even though she was the main focal point of the movie, to be honest, I think she should have been in it more, even more than she was, because I think she was the standout by quite a bit. Yeah, uh, absolutely agreed. Although... There's that one scene where she's kind of delivering this big monologue about, you know, how she used to go to this place and, you know, she had creative thoughts and then she kind of gave them all up. But the camera movement in this really bugged me in that scene. I was so distracted by what the camera was doing. It was kind of moving in above her bed and then kind of panning down. And it just, it really distracted me from the actual words that she was saying. Actually... Now, that brings me to the next thing I was going to talk about. Technically, the cinematographer for this is Eric Allen Edwards. But, you know, a scene like that doesn't stay in the movie without a director deciding that it should. And what did you guys think about John Krasinski as the director of this movie? Pre-Quiet Place, John Krasinski. Was this his first film that he'd ever, ever seen? This was his third film directed. Third? Yeah. One in 2009, I believe, and one in 2012. No, this is his second one directed. The one in 2012 that you're talking about, he wrote it, but he did not direct it. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, I think, to be kind, I think he learned a lot between this film and A Quiet Place. Yeah, I would would absolutely agree. uh, John Krasinski is probably one of my least favorite people in the entertainment business, so I will try to... Uh, sort of mediate my thoughts here because I have nothing kind to say in general. Oh, I'm, I'm but, curious. What's your beef with uh, John? Um, he did a thing called Some some Good News or something, and that was awful. I think, personally, like, I'll try not to go too much into it, but I can I can talk about it more when I'm not being recorded. I think that he is someone who has very little artistic vision, but is good enough. He's good enough at what he does. He is a great actor and he is a very, very competent director. Uh, He's good enough at those two things. Plus he's got the name recognition to be able to make it really well in Hollywood. But I think that he's, I, I don't like him as a creative. And I think that everything of his that I have seen so far is a ripoff of a better idea. Like, this movie is a mumblecore movie without the heart. A Quiet Place is actually, like, 
I think a year before A Quiet Place came out, another movie with the exact same premise came out. So like, I don't know that John Krasinski copied that movie, but it does not look good on him. And then like, in A Quiet Place 2, I think that like, when it, when it comes to actually world building in A Quiet Place, the first one is great. The second one where they have to expand the world shows me that this is not a world worth being invested in. So like, pretty much, I disagree with him as a creative. And I think that he gets a lot more attention than I personally think he deserves. But that said, like, you know, those are not kind things to say. I have very few kind things to say, but he is a great actor and he is at least a good enough director that like, he's able to make good movies. I have only personally liked one of the movies he has made, but he can make good movies. I know he can. I think that's fair. It's a... I have to admit, I I didn't realise he directed anything before A Quiet Place, so this was news to me. I think he's a, am... he has a certain charisma about him, and I I I don't dislike him. It's a, mm-hmm. but it does sometimes feel like he's, you know, he utilises the the character from The Office, and you know the way that that kind of built up quite a lot. Yeah, I'm actually very interested to see his directorial debut, Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Uh, I think it was actually nominated for a couple of spirits at the time, and it has a phenomenal cast. It's like a huge, huge ensemble cast of like leading men at the time, except that they're it's brief interviews with hideous men. So you get Ryan Reynolds, but you only get him for like five minutes. So I'm very interested in this movie. Yeah, that oh, sounds sounds very interesting. Never mind. Ryan Reynolds isn't in it. <laughs> I I was thinking of Will Arnett. I don't know how I mixed up those two, but that's who I was thinking of. <laughs> Easy mistake. Well, to don't get me started on Ryan Reynolds, anyhow. <laughs> I'm going to guess that you haven't seen Free Guy yet, but are not interested in watching it. Uh, that, there's a long story, and again, I'm not sure I want to be recorded to tell this, but uh, yeah. It's, I have not seen Freeman yet. It's probably going to be the last film I watch for this year's Death Race. I will talk to you privately about Ryan Reynolds. Pierre, what did you think of John Krasinski as a director in this? I think this kind of furthers my belief. Like, I think John just really hit a lightning in a bottle spark with um, A Quiet Place. Um, Especially after seeing A Quiet Place 2, I think, like, because he basically made the exact same movie again, but, like, just not as good in my opinion because he's really like it's missing the most charismatic person that is it john krasinski <laughs> not even gonna lie a quiet place 2 made me realize how integral the character that john krasinski was playing was to the first one yeah well like i i, I think he he does show actually a lot of talent as he offers a very specific type of charisma as an actor i think right here he does remind me of like a more wholesome chris evans in a weird way but I guess, like, like, because I remember watching Quiet Place 2, and I was thinking, like, okay, like, let's see if he's actually going to, like, maybe show how he's grown from A Quiet Place 1 and, like, try some new stuff. But it was very obvious that he's... I, I feel like he's scared to do much else because of the fact that he he might also know that... Or he might be scared that A Quiet Place was his only, like, critically successful movie by a long shot, right? So I feel like... It'll be interesting seeing his next movie, which is not horror-related, I believe, and uh, going back to something more normal. Because, like, yeah, this movie was just very... It was just very blandly directed. Like, he he doesn't really have much creative substance. He doesn't really show any passion behind the camera or much maybe knowledge for, like, what to cut and, like, basic... Like, I mean, (laughs) just watching this movie, it feels like he doesn't have, like, a lot of knowledge of just basic storytelling dynamics i guess or um which is you know like kind of concerning considering he's becoming a massive director now technically yeah it kind of felt like he'd missed a a couple of days of film school (laughs) yeah yeah but he could afford to do it because he had like he was putting his face on the movie right so he was able to take these chances and that's kind of the same thing with the quiet place too i think that was a big risk for the studio um 
so yeah, I, I don't, uh, I, I will see like if, if he's able to do, if he, if he's actually grown or if he is basically only a horror genre person that can do the same movie over and over again. Yeah. Because I also, like, I remember him saying like, he, he did a lot of research for horror movies too, but I, I don't really, like, I think A Quiet Place was really well done, but I don't necessarily feel any creativity behind the camera of his own style like i couldn't tell you his style if that makes sense after watching a quiet place it was just a really solidly done horror blockbuster i'd say so yeah well that leaves us with one thing left to talk about and this is an anna kendrick podcast so i would like to know what you guys thought of anna kendrick in this movie and i i won't i won't say too much yet but i'm gonna be honest we may have already said it to be honest is there a great deal to her character? I don't think she was given a great a great deal of things other than she's pregnant and she's rich. That's, yeah. So personally, I think she's mildly entertaining in this, you know, but it, it's certainly her performance is probably forgettable, not, not as a result of her performance, but just as a result of her character. Yeah, I mean, she she suffers from exactly the same thing that every other character in this does, is they're not the main character, and they're not the other main character, so there's just nothing for them. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, I, I thought she would just, I honestly, she, she could have just stayed in New York, and I think the movie would have been fine either way, like, I, I wasn't missing her, like, when she comes into the family, the dynamic doesn't really change, she's just kind of there, but like, to the side, <laughs> and we don't she doesn't need to get called to to be brought into the plot except for i guess she's kind of integral for the very ending mm-hmm. which is actually i guess like a pretty important way of trying to sum up the movie but even so like it didn't really hit for me i don't know yeah i mean without spoiling what the ending is i any more than we already have because <laughs> uh, there's there's plenty we haven't said about the ending so i won't say any more but like the ending is a cute scene that doesn't hit well because I don't care about any of the characters. Yeah. So I was going to say, honestly, at this point, if if anyone still watches this movie after we've talked about it like this, I'd be very impressed. So yeah, let's put that out there. And John Krasinski, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry for the things I've said. I don't take them back. Uh, I am, but I am, I am sorry that you had to hear that. Uh, and come on our podcast. <laughs> okay, last couple of movie, last couple of questions that we always do here. I'm going to start with you, Astro. W- where would you put this in terms of movies that Anna Kendrick's in and or Anna Kendrick performances in relation to what you've seen? Um, I'd certainly probably at the bottom <laughs> of the list um, for me. No, and, you know, as I say, I kind of think... Uh, she's fine in it as she always is but mm-hmm. yeah as a film i did not get on with this film so fair enough pierre yourself yeah i, I thought like i i like that it was short enough to like kind of wander through i guess and sit there it's like a, it's a very relaxing movie to watch because i wasn't i knew <laughs> in the first 10 minutes i just kind of knew like okay i don't really care about this movie so it's it's good that it didn't get me overly invested like it was very neutral uh the whole way through but yeah definitely um a lower tier i mean i um, honestly maybe kind of a mid tier and i can like lower mid tier anna kendrick movie uh, or no sorry lower mid tier movie in the anna kendrick movie list as far as the anna kendrick yeah. role i definitely say at the one of the bottom ones just because it was just so like like nothing it it felt like a nothing mm-hmm. role yeah i think i would basically agree with you for me i don't think it's at the very bottom but it's near the bottom in terms of anna kendrick performances and it's really you know it's one of those performances there have been a couple now where she's fine she just doesn't have anything in this performance there's nothing for her to do so it gets near the bottom for that in terms of movies i put this I put this right below what to expect when you're expecting because what to expect when you're expecting was at least a lot of fun. And this one, I didn't, I didn't hate myself while watching this movie, but like 
I did not enjoy this movie that much. And with what to expect when you're expecting, you know, it's got Chris Rock, it's got Anna Kendrick, it's got Chase Crawford, both of them doing really good performances, Chris Rock and a couple of, and Dennis Quaid and a couple of other comedians doing just like really funny performances. So there's a lot to latch on to. Uh, I put it above Elsewhere, which is shockingly high right now. Elsewhere, I think when we talked about it, I put it at the very bottom because it just seemed like an amateur movie. But there are things below it, which I'm... And then there's a lot of things below it, which is really surprising to me. But yeah, I would put this lower tier for both of them. I'm going to have to check out Elsewhere, definitely. It's one I've not seen, but I'm I'm intrigued now. <laughs> Elsewhere is one that not a lot of people have seen. It's uh, it's one of her very, very few horror movies, except like, I don't know if you would even really call it a horror movie. It's it's an attempt at a horror movie. <laughs> if uh, th- There's another horror movie she was in, but it's not, well, not a horror movie. She was in one episode of a horror anthology show that aired on Fox, I think, for a while. But it ne- the episode never aired, but it is on YouTube because it was on the D- DVD called The Spirit Box. The Spirit Box is elsewhere, but better. Nice. I'll uh, try and check that out, I think. <laughs> Potentially, if I ever get time again. <laughs> well, I think that kind of brings us to the end. The last thing I got to say, and I've said the last thing I've got to say so many times at this point, but the last thing is, Astro, where can people find more of you? And or do you want to do you want to promote anything you're currently involved in? <laughs> um, I'm on Reddit and uh, Discord. I'm Slight Astronomer 3, I think, on both. I can't even remember my username. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I can be found on the Oscar Death Race communities anyhow. In terms of promoting things, uh just I, I'd quite like people to get involved in the AODR if they're interested in it and look out for the upcoming awards ceremony. Uh, well, there will be links to basically every way to get involved with the AODR, or I guess the show notes of this podcast. So everybody can look forward to that. Next week, we've got a guest to talk about the movie Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. This is one that uh, Anna Kendrick devotes like an entire chapter in her book to this movie, to just interacting with Zac Efron in that movie. So I'm I'm personally excited. Pierre, what do you think of Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates? Have you seen it before? I have not, but... It's it going to be... Sounds... I think it's going to be our third movie that we've watched that has Aubrey Plaza in it, too. Oh, wow. I'm, I've never thought about it, but I've, I've actually haven't not enjoyed a movie with Aubrey Plaza before in some way. So, I guess I'm kind of excited. She's always great. Always great. I'm, yeah, you've got, got something to look forward to, Pierre. Woo!